Hi everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Low Season Traveller Insider Guides. I'm your host, Jed Brown, founder of Low Season Traveller, and this week we discovered that there is another organisation which understands the many benefits of low season travel. After a recent interview I did on low season travel, today's guest reached out to me to let me know that he has also set up a travel company dedicated entirely to travel during the low seasons in Africa. We subsequently had a long phone call where I learned about their tours, as well as the amazing work they do in each destination to ensure that their travel leaves a net positive effect. Tana C. Noor is the owner and founder of Off-Season Adventures, which is a bespoke travel company curating immersive experiences designed to delight and empower both the traveler and the destination. He is also the president of Second Look Worldwide, a 501c3 non-profit organization which ensures that the benefits of tourism are realized in each of the local communities by sponsoring infrastructure improvements around the world. Both organizations operate in Tanzania, Ethiopia, Tunisia, Uganda and Nepal and we took the opportunity to find out as much about these destinations as we could. Enjoy. So, Tana, a very good morning to you, because I'm conscious that it's the morning where you are, and welcome to the Low Season Travel Podcast. Great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you. I just want to set the scene for our listeners. Um, I'm sat in my office uh, in Manchester in the UK on a um, a decidedly damp and drizzly autumnal afternoon. Uh, Where are you today, Tana, and this morning your time, and how's your day shaping up? Well, uh, it's a bit rainy here as well. <laughs> um, I'm right outside New York in uh, Hoboken, New Jersey. Oh, very good. And is it is the, the temperatures getting colder there now? They are. Yeah, I don't know what they are in Celsius, but it's about 60 degrees today in Fahrenheit. Yeah, you see, I call that warm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I can guess that's, that's kind of autumnal weather. So listen, let's get straight to it, Tanner. Um, first off, tell us a little bit about off-season adventures. Um, what do you guys do and how did you come to start it up? Sure. So Offseason Adventures is a unique travel company. We focus on sending people during the non-peak times uh, to several destinations around the world. Uh, currently, we have five working on seven. We travel to Ethiopia, Tunisia, Tanzania, Uganda and Nepal. And we're working on Rwanda and southern India right now. Um, the background of the organization, um, my bachelor's is in archaeology. I was able to go to Menorca uh, and uh, do a dig there for that degree. And that program uh, was a combination of archaeology and cultural heritage management. Um, cultural heritage management is the cross-sector of conservation and tourism. How do you preserve the product um, and bring people there at the same time to actually support those destinations. Yeah. Um, so that got me a little more interested in tourism. I ended up getting a, a master's degree in economic development and tourism management from Boston University. Um, I worked with a private firm, Eplerwood International, um, through Making Epler Wood, and uh, was a teaching assistant for her at the Harvard Extension. Uh, from there, all of these uh, backstories then kind of converged into what is now off-season adventures. So uh, our first destination was Tanzania uh, in East Africa. I went there through the master's degree. Uh, we were studying the tourism economy and economic development opportunities as a developing nation. Very good. So um, 
why did you decide to focus on the on the off-season periods specifically? So you're very, very niche on this. You're very focused on the on the off-seasons in each of the destinations that you cover. So why was it important to you to focus on those off-seasons? Yeah, well, when I was in Tanzania, we were there during the off-season. We were there in March. Okay. And I looked around and I saw the beauty of the destination, completely fell in love with the country. And I, I thought to myself, why in the world are there not more people here during this time? It's absolutely gorgeous. The wildlife is stunning. Um, you get super personal connections with the um, individuals because you don't feel like a conveyor belt, you know, yeah. <laughs> coming in and out of the national parks during that time. So um, I met, uh, met up with one of the drivers uh, who was part of that team, and he's now my business partner in Tanzania. And through the um, academic research, you know, showing that traveling during this time can actually support the local economies a whole lot more than sending everybody at once and overwhelming the destination. So especially now in the age of over-tourism where we're seeing these super crowded places, it's not only about the amount of people that are at the destination, it's also about the local resources to support those destinations. So if we're going during the non-peak times, they might have even more um, resources to accommodate those tourists. It puts, I guess it puts less pressure on the destination than the than the peak periods do in terms of resources and um and everything else definitely definitely absolutely so um just while we're on it so tanzania um i've only ever been to tanzania once and really i was kind of passing through on the on the way to to, to zanzibar um why is it as you said march was the low season in um in tanzania what why is that the off season why why traditionally don't they get more tourists during that time Sure, so a little of it has to do with weather, um, and this is consistent with several destinations around the world. Um, a lot of the off-season or low-season has to do with the weather, but it's also um, people's availability to travel. So in Tanzania specifically, you see tons of people coming in the summer and during the holiday season. Mm -hmm. um, and there's also, uh, in Tanzania specifically, and also a little bit in Kenya, there's of course the Great Migration. So that's something that people want to see um, them crossing the Masai Mara River, going up into Kenya and then back down. But the wonderful thing about the off season in Tanzania is that it's, it's a cycle, right? So at the bottom of the cycle are all of the um, wildebeest and zebra calves that are being born in the Ngorongoro and the Serengeti. So you see just fields and fields of young calves. Um, there's millions of them. And so oh, wow. you still get to see those, um, those types of animals. It's just in a different setting. Yeah. And it's not, it's, not a, it's not a worse setting or a poorer setting. It's just a different setting. Exactly. And of course, the landscape is also transformed. It's lush and green. And a lot of the times when people think of Africa or specifically safari travel, they're thinking of these, you know, dry, desolate places where you can, you know, spot out a lion from, you know, miles away. But the good thing about um, Tanzania specifically is that there's so much of this wildlife that it's always in the country all the time in all of the regions. Fantastic. So a great, uh, a great place to go to during the low season and the off season. So um, Ethiopia, tell us about Ethiopia, because Ethiopia has been on my personal bucket list for many years. And I've heard a lot of good things about Ethiopia, but I've never been to Ethiopia. 
tell us a little bit about Ethiopia during the off season. Sure. So, uh, and it's funny that you mentioned that it's been on your bucket list because it seems like it's been on a ton of other people's. So last year, um, Ethiopia uh, had the highest rate of tourism growth in the entire world at about 48%, wow. which is insane. <laughs> you never see those types of numbers. It's definitely a variety of factors, of course. Yeah. But um, in the summer months in Ethiopia, um, there's two very different climate. So if you're in the Simeon mountain ranges in the north, or if you're in the south, which they do have some safaris, but you can also see the local tribes in Ethiopia. Um, the summer months, it's going to be a little wetter. But again, you get that lush, green, beautiful scenery um, as you're traveling through, especially the south. Um, if you're traveling there on the other times of the year in the north in the mountains it can get quite cold so we were there in um in may of uh just this year and still it could be a little chilly so i don't i don't know why people would want to go at the other time of year when it could yeah. actually get quite cold <laughs> yeah. Bizarre. what's your personal uh, highlights from um travel in ethiopia so I think um, waking up in the Simeon Mountains, we had uh, actually uh, overnighted there in actual tents. <laughs> um, definitely a crazy experience for me. Um, we, uh, we ended up waking up, I was with a small group uh, tour there to go around different parts of the country so that we could eventually sell this to, um, to our clients. Sure. And, uh, I woke up really early with the sunrise and went off onto one of the peaks to be able to see the entire mountain range. Nice. Absolutely stunning. I was the only one up. I spent it with a couple of baboons um, <laughs> that were, you know, waking up and getting their morning uh, breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> so That's that was a really, really amazing experience. It's incredible, isn't it? Do you know when you just say there that, you know, you, you were sharing that sunrise with just a couple of baboons and then... Um, it interests me because on the obviously you know we're based here in the UK and we sort of look at the UK outbound market and I've been sort of selling travel for you know for many years and it amazes me that the you know the price for example for a family to go to um, you know California or Florida to Disneyland where you know they have the jungle cruise and all of this kind of stuff and actually and I guess it's the same for you guys as well actually in many cases far less expensive to go to you know Ethiopia or Tanzania and experience real wildlife and real nature and actually in, in my experience it's far cheaper far cheaper to get the real deal than it is to get this plastic version in Disneyland and I'm not dissing Disneyland well I am a little bit but you know it's that's insane though definitely I think that putting this into context and seeing these things in situ uh, in the country and the destination themselves is always going to be a better experience. Not only are you able to see the wildlife, of course, in many of our destinations, but also connect with nature in a very unique way, connect with the local culture in a very unique way, um, whether that's a more modern culture and maybe one of the cities uh, here or, you know, one of the, the tribes in Tanzania, Ethiopia, Uganda, um, they seeing these things in person and being able to talk to your local guides about, okay, well, what are the politics and government behind all of this and why did this develop this way? That's something that you won't get if you're, <laughs> you know, let's say going to Disneyland, for example. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> the plastic version. It's interesting, I see as well, when you talk about, and I think it's great on the experiences that, that, that you guys provide. Um, it's, it seems to be that it's very much a focus on, on getting under the skin of the destination, really understanding the, the, the culture of the people and learning um, how they interact with nature as well. And that seems to be a big part of the, the, the tours and experiences you offer. Is that right? That's right. I think that it's so important to be able to put those two things in context. Um, again, if you're, if you're only seeing one side of the spectrum, you're not going to be able to see the other. And so all of our tours, they really do try and combine either a natural. Um, so in Ethiopia, for example, like, you know, being in the mountain ranges, being in those forests in the south, um, and then seeing how, of course, the local culture is um, impacted by um, and interacting with those landscapes as well. So um, what's a, a, a fun example is actually in Tanzania in the Ngorongoro region, the Maasai tribe live within that conservation area. So it's really interesting to see how they live um, in the same area as the, <laughs> the, the lions, uh, the zebra, wildebeest, wow. elephant, you know, um, and what sort of challenges they have and how they've compensated for that. Yeah, that must be incredible. Um, Tunisia is another destination that you feature. Now, Tunisia um, is, is interesting, again, on the, on the UK side of things. Uh, the UK market tends to go to Tunisia and they tend to go to, there's, there's quite a lot of beach resorts on the north. And they go to these uh, all-inclusive hotels on the, on the north of Tunisia. Um, now, I guess that's not the side of Tunisia this, um, that you guys show off. Tell us, what, tell us more about the kind of experiences that, that travelers have in Tunisia um, on, on, on your trip. Sure, yeah. I was completely blown away by Tunisia the first time that I went there. And I think there's a, a, a large stigma, um, especially with safety and security in North Africa. Um, for lots of people, maybe with the UK, it, you're seeing similar, but definitely for Americans. But I was very surprised with how <laughs> safe I felt the entire time. Um, it, you know, you're able to have those really intimate conversations with people but then also again exploring the nature side so tunisia has a very interesting uh side of things so you almost see you see the um the opposite side of the roman empire right you see one of the past colonies and there's because there's so few travelers in this area a lot of the sites here are very well preserved you see the most amount of mosaics that i've ever seen in my life and they are in situ they're right there in the place where they were originally installed um, so you see that in Old Carthage, um, up to Tabarka, um, a couple other places up in the north. Um, we do travel to the north, but we also include the south as well. Yep. So in the south, you have the desert. You have some really beautiful um, springs that are coming out of the Atlas Mountains. Um, so Shabika um, is one of them, Mides. Uh, it's a very beautiful place. Um, they actually film Star Wars in a couple places in Tunisia. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you're into that, we have um, Matmata and then Mides, um, where Anakin comes out of his little house <laughs> there in the desert. Um, so it's it's a it's a fabulous destination. Um, in Tunisia, we try and focus on um, because of what you just said. A lot of people are traveling there in the summer months into the beaches. 
Um, but because we want to have people get the full experience of Tunisia, we try and focus on the spring and fall, which are uh, basically the shoulder seasons. Um, because they have two very different climates in Tunisia, it's almost swapped with the winter and summer. So we try and focus on both of those times so that you can see the whole picture in a very cool way. Nice, nice. I love that. And I love that it's, it's, a, it's a different side as well to Tunisia that, um, that certainly that I'm not familiar with. So I've been to Tunisia and I was in a place called uh, Sous up in the north. Yeah, yeah. Lovely beaches, but, you know, to, to a degree, you know, I could have been on a beach anywhere. And, and you know, the great shame for me is that I never got outside of Sous and didn't really see anything of um, of Tunisia. And what a what a great shame because by the sounds of it, I've missed out on on quite a lot actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's really cool is that even if you did want to include something like the beach vacation, we can include that perhaps as an extension to let's say Jerba Island. Yep. And there, you know, yes, of course, you can just very simply lie on the beach, but you can also have some boat rides around. You can get some of the local foods um, that are caught right there. You pick the fish that you want and they'll grill it right there for you. They also have olive production, yep. which is really fascinating. Um, so the entire process throughout that, um, that production. Um, and then also pottery production as well. So you can get these, these little um, nuggets of culture um, in addition to having a beach. And that's, that's the differentiating factor here with Tunisia versus, let's say, like the Caribbean, for example. Yep, yep, fair point. And another destination that you feature, uh, Uganda. Now, Uganda is another one of these destinations very high on my bucket list. I've never <laughs> been. I've got a colleague, actually, a very good friend of mine um, who runs a, an aviation company. And he's, um, he went out on a trek to see the gorillas, the mountain gorillas in Uganda. And um, it, I think it changed his life. He now works with the Gorilla Foundation and he does charity fun runs dressed as a gorilla. And he's absolutely <laughs> obsessed because, you know, he talks um, at length about the, the humanness, if that's a word, of, of, of the gorillas. And he said, he said, Jed, you know, once you've seen these, he said, believe me, it sends a shiver up your back. They are almost human-like. Tell us a little bit about the experiences that you've had in Uganda and that your, your guests have had in Uganda. Yeah, so definitely the gorillas, chimpanzees are definitely the, um, the main draw for Uganda. Um, but I find this in Tanzania as well. It's, it's the wildlife that people say that they want, but then it's the local, the local culture that brings people back again and again. Right. So we work with a beautiful organization called African Sustainable Tourism Care Foundation um, in Uganda. Uh, they are a nonprofit tourism company. So all of their proceeds go into local projects, whether that's um, women empowerment, hygiene, sanitation, economic development. There's so many wonderful opportunities and people um, that are traveling to Uganda can actually participate in those as well. Yeah. So, um, but, but I have to say there was something very special about doing the gorilla trekking. It was a pretty arduous process. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm in pretty good shape, uh, but still I definitely struggled getting out of the mountain a little bit, but they're perfectly fine with taking as many stops as you need getting out. Is this and because of the altitude, Tanner? I don't think it's because of the altitude. Really, um, there's 
I mean, they don't have set trails. So they're macheting things right in front of you. So you're walking on a bunch of leaves and stems and <laughs> it Whoa. can get a little slippery and all of this. But then once you finally get there and you're so close to these magical creatures, it, it is very special um, having that connection with them. And just being able to sit there, put down your phone, put down your camera and just be present yeah. um, for that time. That sounds incredible. Yeah, that's, like I said, that's uh, another one on the bucket list. Uh, I, f I find the more I travel, by the way, the bucket list just gets longer, uh, which is <laughs> kind of ironic, really. Um, let's move on to um, Nepal. So Nepal is, is relatively recent for you guys, is that right? Um, Nepal it was uh, technically the second destination that we offered, but we really started promoting it this year. Um, and that's just because we were um, getting all of the other destinations kind of squared away. But I first went to Nepal in 2017, and that was in the summer. So again, um, with Nepal, there's two very distinct um, off seasons. So you have the summer and the winter months when it can get a little cooler. Um, Nepal has um, also a wonderful combination of the natural piece and then the cultural side as well. So with the, the natural side, not only do you have, of course, the beautiful mountains and trekking, um, the beautiful scenery in places like Pokhara, yeah. um, but you also have the rhinos and possibility of seeing the tigers um, in Chitwan National Park. Um, and then the culture is a really beautiful connection between you know, Indian, Chinese, Tibetan, it's all kind of this melting pot right in the Kathmandu Valley. And they have some beautiful places that are tucked away in the mountains that, um, <laughs> you know, they say had never been officially colonized um, <laughs> by uh, any of the Western powers there. Um, so they have this very unique uh, place and actually a couple of them don't have hotels at all. So you have to stay with the homestay um, in order to stay at these really cool places. Um, but again, having that interaction with the local people and ha being able to have that conversation was probably the most special part of the entire um, trip to Nepal. Fair play. It's, uh, I, I was in Nepal once myself. Um, I, brought a, I brought a group there, gosh, must have been back in about 2002, 2003. Um, another one of those ones changed my life. Changed my life. It was, for me, you know, you, you, when you're watching the sun rising over the Himalayas and these great valleys that you have up around Pakara and around there, um, it, it's just the scale of it. Yeah. It's <laughs> so huge. Um, and yet, in the morning, it's so silent. So you've got this vastness and this silence bar, you know, the odd dog barking or, or whatever else in the distance. And um, yeah, absolutely changed my life. Felt very exotic in, in, in many ways. You know, like you say, with the prayer wheels and the bits and bits. Felt very, I felt very, in a very different place, in a, in a, in a great yeah. way. And lots of people say that from coming back from Nepal, it is a really spiritual place. Yeah. And maybe there's a little bit to do with the altitude there, but I think that also just the very positive energy that resonates from all of the people that live in Nepal is really, you can feel it like straight into your heart and bones. And I think, so we have um, also a wellness um, package that we've put together um, to be able to observe some of these things and really connect with yourself through yoga, meditation, 
um, hiking, trekking, and natural experiences. I love that. So of all of the, the tours and the destinations that you guys feature, um, and I know as the, the founder and CEO, you shouldn't have uh, favorites necessarily, uh, but do you, do you have a favorite destination or tour that you personally just love <laughs> more than the others? <laughs> oh, geez, that's, that's a hard one. I, you're like, these are like <laughs> picking your favorite child. Is, is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know, and we, we like to see our destinations as a, this little collection of jewels, and each one is very special and unique. And I, I, I think I'd have to say Tanzania only because that was our first destination. Yeah. It will always have a very special place in my heart. Um, it's the longest business relationship that we've had with the organization. And uh, we've also had my business partner, Hosea, and his wife, Gladdy. They came over for one of the travel shows over here. And it was a really special experience to spend that time with them and show them around Boston and New York. And um, I've also met their kids several times um, <laughs> over in Tanzania. So there is really that special connection. Um, and I mean, it was the the... The reason why we started the entire organization was because of that personal connection to those people, but then also the country as a whole. Yeah, that's that's understandable, and I think it, it would always be special for that reason. What about um, what about any? Have you got any new tours in the in the pipeline? Anything exciting for us to to watch out for in the in the coming sort of weeks and months? Definitely. So we're putting together uh, small group tours for each of our destinations from uh, the end of this year through 2020. Um, one specifically that I'm really excited about is Rwanda. Um, yeah. We're partnering with a, a nonprofit here in the US called Heart of a Thousand Hills. So each person that travels on this tour in January of 2020 um, will supply two years of school fees for a kid in Rwanda. Wow. So, because we're partnering with the nonprofit, we're trying to get as many people to go. We aren't taking a profit off of that. We're just helping with the facilitation of the tour. Um, and then I'll be going on that tour as well uh, to, to see the country for the first time. Really oh, excited yeah. about that one. <laughs> oh, awesome. Well, that's one, that's one that I, that's a place that I have been to. I was in Kigali on, um, on business with, uh, with my colleague, as I was telling you about, uh, who was in uh, Uganda. Mm -hmm. um, we actually went out there and we gave um it was to do with the aviation industry and we gave a um a couple of lectures i guess um to the aviation you know students of tourism and aviation and um the intriguing story on this and this is one where you all of a sudden gain a bit of humility but there was about 200 students in the room so this would be aged between 18 and uh, probably the oldest would have been about sort of 27, 28. And we're talking about aircraft and aviation and, you know, different things to do with the, the aviation industry in Africa. And we decided that, you know, first off, we'll ask, you know, how many people in the room have, have been on a plane? In a room of 200 people who all study, all study aviation, how many had been on a plane? Give me your best guess, Anna. Uh, two, probably. Well... Very close, actually. <laughs> one, one. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'd been, I'd been on a plane, and I, and it was just one of those humbling things where you think, God, if I asked that question in Manchester of a group of two hundred students, you'd pretty much have every hand would be in the air, and it was just that sort of understanding of there aren't always the opportunities available in in places like Kigali, and 
you know, Kigali as well stuck in my mind for another reason, which was that when I arrived in Kigali, sometimes people, maybe, maybe listeners that haven't been anywhere on the African continent before, um, you have a certain idea in your head as to what you think it will be like in mm. Africa or places like Rwanda. And what I will tell you is, and you'll notice this when you get to Kigali, there is no litter anywhere. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> it is absolute no, but it's like it's almost freakish. It's utterly clean. I mean, Manchester is a. I shouldn't say it. It's an absolute dive by comparison. You know, we have trash everywhere here. It's you know inhumane. And I was intrigued, and I was asking one of the local guys. I said, you know, I, I'm genuinely, I'm really incredulous as to how clean everything is. And maybe you know about this, Tana, but just for for our listeners. He said, well, we have the, um, you know, we have the big national cleanup day every month. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what's the, what's the cleanup day? And he said, well, you know, this goes back to tribal times, but you always look after your own space. So on a national level, there is one day every month where everybody has to tidy up, clean up, get rid of rubbish, everything else. And it's not enforced on a governmental level. It's enforced by, on a community level. Uh, so the, the guide was saying to me, he said, look, if, if I wasn't doing anything on the cleanup day and I wasn't picking up litter or doing whatever else, you know, other people would be saying, hey, well, you know, what's going on, man? You're not, you're not doing the cleanup. You've got to join in. It's, so it's enforced by the community. And apparently it goes back to tribal times, but it's done every month. And the reason then that you don't throw litter down is because, you know, you're going to have to pick it up <laughs> on that day of the month. So therefore, the whole place is immaculate. But it's just, you know, you have a perception of what you think Africa is like. You land in this beautiful airport in Kigali, the, the land of a thousand hills. And it's, it's just, it's absolutely magnificent. Um, yeah, it was just intriguing. So, Yeah, and we've definitely seen similar, similar things to that as, uh, as you saw in Rwanda. I mean, so many places in Africa or the places that I've traveled around the world, they just care so much about the destination and they want to share that with you (laughs) and they want to share the best version of that with you. Um, But they're also able to, you know, talk about the challenges. And I think that's mainly what um, a large part of the Western, you know, news cycle is about those struggles and those challenges. And so we're trying to shift that narrative and say, okay, no, each country in Africa is very different from one another. They all have their individual cultures. You know, Tanzania has more than 200 tribes yeah. <laughs> as they all have their very unique cultures just within that one country. And that's what we're trying to showcase. We're trying to showcase how these, uh, these local communities work together and the beauty in each and every one of them. And they want to do the same. So we're giving them the opportunity to be able to showcase that in the best light. I love that. Tell me about Second Look Worldwide. What is Second Look Worldwide and how did it come about and what do you guys do? So Second Look Worldwide is a 501c3 nonprofit here in the US. We started that organization as a sister company to Off-Season Adventures last year. Um, 5% of Off-Season Adventure tours goes into uh, basically savings account for each of our destinations that we have with OSA. And those funds are used to sponsor local infrastructure projects around the tourism destinations. So we're, with both organizations, we're trying to become a net positive organization. So putting 
more into the destination than we're taking out. Yeah. And part of that does have to do with the local stresses on the infrastructure when travelers come to the destination. So we're really excited that uh, at the beginning of this year, we were able to complete our uh, second phase of our first project, uh, which is, uh, again, Tanzania, our first destination. It has the most uh, saved up, you know, from all of the tours that we've done. So we were able to support a, a solar panel water pump system uh, right outside of Tarangira National Park uh, in Tanzania. So with that, uh, we're able to then connect uh, from the water source directly to the primary school in that area. So now uh, if there is a severe dry season, I can rest easier knowing that about 15,000 people have access to running uh, year-round water. And because of the solar, that's good for 20 years at least. Um, with with very minimal maintenance, so they we don't have to worry about them, you know, having to get the diesel or the petrol and burning that, getting the fumes into the atmosphere. Um, it's a very clean way of doing this. And our third phase, um, hopefully, we'll be able to complete this by the beginning of next year, is building out the hygiene and sanitation within this primary school. They're built right on septic tanks, uh, and so when they fill up that's how kids get sick. Um, they also don't have, they have the running water now, but haven't in the past. Uh, so we'll be supplying soap and toilet paper to make sure that um, those systems are more efficient and more clean um, for the kids. And that will eventually lead to higher educational rates in this area um, because they either won't get sick or they don't have to um, spend the entire day to go get water and then come back. Yeah. What an utterly wonderful project that you're doing there, Tana. Uh, that's absolutely amazing and and great for you know not only for you know for for you and your and your colleagues and, and co-workers to know that that's something that that you guys have done and and, and helped bring about a real change actually, but also I guess for you know for your clients as well. Everybody that's taken a tour with you guys, they've contributed to that, right? Absolutely. Um, definitely through the package itself, they've contributed, but then also so many people that uh, have seen it in person uh, have really been touched by the story and by the people that are here in this area, and they've contributed additional amounts after the fact. Wow. So that's one of the main reasons why we were able to um, get this project up and running so quickly. I mean, we just incorporated the 501c3 last year and within a couple of months we were able to complete this first project so that's probably the the thing that i'm most proud of and the the real focus of um off-season adventures is to see that benefit in the destinations where we travel and now with both of the organizations it becomes a more efficient way of being able to get that done yeah that's ph phenomenal that, that is true responsible and sustainable tourism in practice um and i love that tana we're starting to roll, run low on time so we're going to hit you with some uh, some quick fire questions if you're up for us okay it sounds great <laughs> okay so uh first off what's your earliest travel memory so probably traveling to baja with my family um down way far down on the baja coast um i'm from san diego so so fairly easy to travel there yeah. um, and, you know, being able to see the beauty, um, going fishing 
and uh, staying at the local places there. Yeah, I believe it's a lovely, a lovely part of the country, actually. Um, describe yourself in three words. Uh, sustainable tourism entrepreneur. Oh, love it, love it. What's the best place that you've ever woken up? Definitely in the Simeon Mountains, which I described before. Um, seeing that beauty and seeing the sunrise come over the mountains, it was just amazing. Love it. What's your happiest travel memory? When we were able to finally see the solar panels come up for the Second Look Worldwide project, that was really meaningful. And that, that, was, that was definitely my happiest memory. That's going to take some beating, right? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Um, what do you never leave home without when you're traveling? It could be, I don't know, it could be a small item. It could be a personal item. What do you never leave home without? Uh, definitely uh, the passport, spare, <laughs> spare money, and then the, the keys. <laughs> so pretty, uh, pretty standard. <laughs> I, love, I, love, I love that. Super practical. Um, what do you dream of doing that you still haven't done yet? Well, perhaps in conjunction with you guys, um, I, I want to create a movement to shift the narrative to say that off-season travel is actually the best time to travel, not, uh, not during the high season, not during the shoulder season, but, you know, the true off-season and having more and more people, uh, you know, come through us through that movement. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and we'd love to work with you on that. Um, if, you, if you weren't where you are right now, where would you most in the world like to be right now? It could be anywhere. Well, one of the springs in Tunisia is uh, called Chabika. Um, and I just find it just so beautiful. There's some palm trees growing. There's frogs, you know, hopping around the little pools of water. Um, and that connects to um, a, a little farm there that you can see, you know, can, uh, you know, go to the restaurant there and <laughs> get some locally sourced food. Uh, that's just, that's probably my favorite place. <laughs> so you'd be there now. Um, who or what inspires you the most? I think seeing local entrepreneurs succeed um, in the destinations where we take travelers, uh, that's what inspires me the most. Um, and that's what we're built for being their surrogates abroad yeah love that um what has been your biggest travel surprise what i mean by that is um there are some destinations where our expectations are um pretty low for one reason or another well, not necessarily low but a bit near and when you actually get there you think wow that actually was not that's way better than i ever imagined and that's what I call a travel surprise. What has been your biggest travel surprise? I think Tunisia uh, was definitely the biggest one, not only with the, you know, feeling super, super safe and secure the entire time, but also seeing these fantastic ruins. Again, my bachelor's in archaeology, you know, that history and seeing it in real life was just absolutely mind blowing. Fantastic. Um, finally, what what does 2020 hold in store for you um or what do you what do you hope that 2020 holds in store for you well we're building uh the new packages for rwanda and southern india um we are 
going to be working more closely with travel agents to try and get more um, travelers to go during this time and share the word about off season. Yep. Um, <clears throat> we'll be completing hopefully our water project uh, at Kokoi. Um, and then I actually have a study coming out, a case study uh, comparing uh, the Serengeti National Park in Tanzania and Windy National Park in Uganda. And that'll be published in 2020 uh, through the Center for Responsible Travel. Oh, well, 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 we'll look out for that and obviously we'll make sure that we can uh, hopefully share that widely as well on our side. Um, Tana, thank you so much for giving us your time uh, this morning, uh, early early your time. Um, it's been fascinating speaking to you and want to wish you every success with all of the many projects that you're working on and uh, I think you're doing fantastic work. Congratulations on all you've achieved. Thank you so much, Jeff. We really appreciate it. And that's a wrap. Huge thanks to Tanner for taking the time to speak with us this week. And if you'd like to find out more about the incredible low season experiences Tanner and his team offer, then please do visit his site, www.offseasonadventures.com. And if you'd like to donate to their charity and make a real difference in the lives of those in each destination, then please visit www.secondlookworldwide.org. I always think that the big charities get huge donations and there are so many equally deserving charities like Second Look Worldwide which do some amazing work whereby even the smallest of donations can make a real impact on the lives of everyday people in destinations like Tanzania. Finally, if you're enjoying the music this week, it's called Nakupenda Tanzania and was written and produced in Tanzania and is meant to convey the feeling that any traveller will get when experiencing this beautiful East African country. You can listen to the song in full by visiting secondlookworldwide.org. That's it for this week. We're working hard on the all-new Low Season Traveller website just now, so please let me know if there are any destinations you would particularly like us to cover. And as always, if you enjoyed this week's podcast, please don't forget to share it with your friends, family and social networks. Our content will always be free for everyone, as we believe that travel is better without the crowds.